0: The title is obvious, it's right from the text, verse 6, He is not here, for he is risen. Today there, are professing, today there are professing Christians all around the world that are joyously celebrating, which in my opinion is the single most significant event that has ever happened in this world since creation. Why? Why is it so? Death seems to be an end as we walk around in life. I have conducted many a funeral, and it it seems like death is an end. As we look around and we even see animals die, or trees, it seems like it's an end of things. Raising someone else from the dead would be miraculous enough. But to raise yourself would be impossible, and yet... From John chapter 10. I won't have you turn there. I'll just read it to you. It's a text that we're not that far away from in our study on Sunday mornings. But in verse 18, the Lord Jesus Christ said this. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. All aspects of the Trinity were involved in the resurrection of the lord jesus christ but he was himself without the resurrection why is it such a glorious day why is it so important without the resurrection our faith is useless without the resurrection we have no good news anyone can die everyone will die if that's the end It isn't a true gospel. It isn't good news. Without the resurrection, we are still in our sins. Thus, without hope, you'd go to the graveside and have no hope whatsoever. Without the resurrection, folks, Christians are liars because they're saying Christ rose from the dead. Without the resurrection, we are the most pitied people of the world. And in fact, in the 21st century where you and I are living, true Christians are looked at that way. They are looked at those who are the uneducated, those who have to find something to lean on, Those who are to be pitied, for they haven't woken up to the realities of life. I could get into a whole dissertation on that this morning, and I can't. But I will tell you this, it's rather interesting, that throughout the history of mankind, the most looked forward to and esteemed degree in our society was that of theology. That is no longer the case. It is looked at as a doctorate for weaklings by those who, quote unquote, know better. And what I have said to you just this morning, in case you don't realize it, is exactly what the scriptures say. You don't need to turn again to it, but in 1 Corinthians 15, I'll just read a couple of verses that you know well. It says, but if there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, you are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised him from the dead. And if in fact Christ is not raised from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have simply perished. And if we have hope in Christ, in this life only, we, of all men, ought to be most pitied. I summarized that just a moment ago. That's why the resurrection is vital to understand it. And in fact, we need to understand that it's so important because while those things would be true if there was no resurrection, Christ has risen from the dead, And we rejoice in that. In fact, in the same passage that I was in, the very next verse, after I had stopped, says this, But now Christ has been risen from the dead, and very crucial, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Christ has been raised from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. There is no religion on the face of the earth that can say that but Christianity. Christianity. I don't care what religion it is and there are many and there have been many and they look to people that are dead and still in the graves. We serve a risen savior. We have a savior. Most religions don't even have a savior. They have a leader that they look to and try to follow and emulate and try based on a works system to obtain favor with God and never know whether they retain that favor. Christianity is unique because we have a God that has come down himself and saved us and granted salvation freely and has risen and the grave is empty. There are many graves that we've seen. Just this past two weeks, I saw a number of them. I saw the gravesite of Philip II. I saw a number, a sarcophagus in which... The bones were still there. And people had put all kinds of gold and silver and jewels and pottery. And the grave's still there and the bones are still there. And I saw glorious grave sites. Solid gold. And the ashes were still there. And the remains. But the tomb of Christ is empty. It is different. And no other religion in the world can say that. This is so great a day, so great a salvation. But I want to challenge us all this morning, starting with myself in this congregation. As glorious as it is, if this event is no more than a historical event to us, and by the way, it is, but if it doesn't have any more effect than a historical event, It's useless. If this day is not more than just a special meal after we leave here. If it is not more than just a theological doctrine and it is and it's a vital theological doctrine but if that's all it is to me and you as a Christian we're in trouble. This is a tremendously joyous event. However, this day that we celebrate in this event should affect our everyday lives. Because of this event, it should impact our thinking. It should impact our time. Our time is short. And I'm telling you, the youngest person in this room, whoever that may be, I at my age can look back and I remember all my parents and everybody talking about how fast life goes. I cannot remember what happened to 40 years of my life. And it's not because I have Alzheimer's disease. It went by like that. 70, 80 years is nothing in the face of eternity. But most of us in this audience are closer to the end. We're all closer to the end, but are near the end. It's not that far away. And if this historical event does not impact our time and our effort here, it hasn't meant much. Our actions in life should be affected. Let me tell you this right away to set the tone. It did affect the first generation of the first century Christian. This event was so impacting in their lives that the scriptures tell us that it, they went and turned the world upside down because of this event, because of this event. As I said, over in Turkey and over in that area of Asia Minor and then in Europe and and being in Greece. And right down to this day and age, I had the opportunity to witness how God used one man by the name of Paul to impact a whole world that he lived in. And you and I are still the effects of that today because this resurrected Savior affected his life it wasn't just theology it wasn't just an event to separate him from another day men and women's lifestyles were radically changed people lived with hope people were martyred with full assurance and confidence not just I hope I'm gonna live beyond the grave but would go to the grave with full confidence like Polycarp did in such a way That how could I deny a Savior who's been faithful to me all these years just before he died. Knowing he was going into the presence of a living Savior. I believe we should be motivated and motivated by this text. Let's turn there in our text to Matthew 28. And those that are here on a regular basis say Pastor Dan is never going to finish this message. But he will. I'm just wound up if you can't tell. Jesus had been ministering for about three years with his disciples. I want you to see this this situation. He's been ministering to his disciples for about three years. He's been with them, spending time. He's been teaching them. He's been demonstrating his power to them through miracles. He's been preparing them for the work that they would carry out when he leaves. After his resurrection, when he's ascended back to heaven, because they have something to do. He has now gone before them and been the sacrificial lamb of God identified by John the Baptist who is to take away the sins of the world and that has been completed and he's been buried. He's died and been buried and now what about his disciples? What's happening by the time we come to Matthew chapter 28? By the time we come here to this chapter, all of that has taken place. They've experienced what you and I didn't experience of walking with him, talking with him, being taught. Now he's been dead, he's buried, and they have scattered. They've scattered. Some of them have denied them, denied him. As you know, Peter, well known. They were hiding. They were frightened. They were scared, their savior had died and they knew the theology, they didn't know what would become of the future. They had, as you will see in just a moment, been told about the resurrection. It wasn't that they didn't know it and yet they hadn't been affected by it yet. It's almost like, if you will, because they weren't expecting it as we're going to see in just a moment. We hear about the rapture. We look forward to the rapture and we know it's some event that's going to take place and we just go our way. It has no effect on our life. It's kind of how this had. They knew of the resurrection. Chronological events. The women had gone to the tomb. What had happened? They were bringing spices when you compare all the gospels. Why? I want you to notice this. They were bringing spices because they did not expect to find the resurrection. They expected to find a body, they expected to find a body that they could minister to properly who had already been buried. In fact, when Mary Magdalene gets to the, te- to the tomb as we compare the accounts, she is crying and saying they have stolen the body. They've taken it away. My savior's gone and she's the one that Jesus appears to first. The women here have come to the grave, and they're expecting the body, and they don't see him. They're instructed, how? Verse 6, he's not here, for he's risen. And I want you to notice the first thing in verse 5, they are comforted. Don't be afraid. They were scared. They didn't know what was going on. And he comforts their heart. The soldiers were petrified. If I could spend the time, and I won't, on this, it's rather interesting because the word used for the guards when it says they shook for fear is the same word that comes from the word earthquake. That's literally, they were shaken. Their lives were in jeopardy right now with Pilate because the grave was open. The body was gone. They knew it. (coughs) The angels were there. The tomb was rolled, uh, the uh, stone was rolled away. The grave was empty. The soldiers saw it, the women saw it, Peter saw it, John saw it. We could go on and on. And what happens is they come and the grave is empty. And what I really want to get to is there was instruction given to them here. And I will concentrate on the last one, but I want to bounce over them quickly. In the context, he says, he is not here for he is risen just as he said. Where did he say that? Just look in chapter 27, verse 63, because that's close by. Watch. They knew this, the chief priests and the Pharisees from verse 62. And in verse 63, it says this. Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. They knew. They knew the theology. Didn't affect them. Just turn to Matthew 16 for one moment. Matthew 16, I want you to see it with your own eyes. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show whom? His disciples. What did he tell them? He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. They weren't going to the grave to see a risen Savior. They knew it but their lives had not yet been affected. That's what I want you to get. They had been taught, they had all of it, but it hadn't been affected. But when the resurrection took place, and when they saw the reality, they are gonna turn the world upside down. And you'll notice, go back to Matthew chapter 28. I will bounce over the first two very quickly. They are put into a program. We have a program with our children called show and tell in school. God has a different program. It's go and tell. And that's in it for you and me. Go and tell. We see it in verse 5 through 7. It comes up in verse 7. I already read verses 5 and 6. You notice what he says. After comforting them, he uses the same participle here in verse 7 that he's going to use in verse 19. And he says, go quickly. And what to do? The verb here is tell. It's an imperative. They were not even supposed to take a moment to bask in it. Catch that. If that were me, and I came upon, and I had just seen the Savior buried, and I go three days later, and it's empty, I just want to sit there and meditate and bask and enjoy it. Nothing doing. He didn't say to them, get out your Bible, get out the scriptures, take some time, just enjoy it nothing doing. He commands them and says, as you're going, literally, go tell. Go tell what? He's risen. He's not here. Just as he said. And notice, they were to go, first of all, to the disciples. Go and tell his disciples. Why? They needed encouragement. We need to remind ourselves We need to go to the word of God. We need to see what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We need to have things like communion. We need to gather together. We need to have personal Bible studies. We need to have interaction with one another. Why? Because we too need encouragement. They were discouraged. They were hiding. They were fearful. They didn't know what was going on. And they were the first ones that needed to be told that he had come alive. They had... There was no room, if you will, let me put it this way, right away for silent believers. In the 21st century, we are living in a day and age in which we get scared of what people are going to think about us, even talking about Christ. You don't talk about politics, and you don't talk about religion. Really? If you're a Christian, you better talk about the gospel. There's no room for silence. He didn't say to the woman, now just go live your life. He said, go and tell that he's risen. Go to the disciples first. Encourage them. God has given us a message just like them. And it changed them immediately. They ran and they told. In the passage, just to get into context so I can move down. The Lord strengthened the woman by appearing to them in verses 8 and 9, and I won't look at it. Then you come to verse 10, and you got the second go and tell. He says them in, in verse 10, Then Jesus said to them, same thing that the angel said, Do not be afraid, there's the comfort, go and take word. Now this time, it's the verb that's go. He's telling them to get going. Get going and tell them. They were comforted again, but they were to take word. They were to take instruction in this particular case they would take instruction and tell them where to go where to go they would meet the lord jesus christ in galilee and by the way as you compare the gospels the lord would appear to them in many different ways the emmaus road for example i told you about Mary magdalene you have the women that are here and so some of them are going to see the lord before galilee but that is the place where he wants them to go i think that's another lesson for us right away we're not only to tell the good news of the resurrection but we are also to go and to be where the Lord wants us to be that can be a different place for you or for me but we're to be exactly where God wants us to be and in our case when he says to them take them word it was to word where they were to go how does God give us guidance because I want to spend more time in the last two verses but I tell you this it's through the word of God too many Christians are bouncing around you know I believe we're living in a day in which technology has made it so overwhelmingly easy to read the Word of God. You can sit here in church and be having the whole Bible in a little thing that's this big. You have more available to you than theological students had available to them just 10 years ago. And you have it in a little computer. And yet how many of us are even reading the Bible? As I grew up we had a Bible in the home but it collected dust. Shame on you if you're a professing Christian and your Bible is collecting dust. Shame on you if you're not going to the Word every day looking for guidance and direction and strength and help and encouragement. But the biggest thing I want to get to, we serve a risen Savior. It comes down to Christians. And I have to jump down because of time to verses 18 and 19. Well known, but it's the third one. First one was go and tell. Go tell the good news. Go, and to the disciples, fellowship among themselves. Secondly, go tell them where to go. But the third one, he told them something else. He told them to go and make. Go and make what? Disciples. Go and make disciples. I need to read verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is the risen Savior saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that was vital to verse 19. The Lord Jesus Christ was not dead in the grave anymore. This is him speaking. At our early service this morning, Pastor Chris did a wonderful job of pointing out it was a bodily resurrection. This was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the one they knew, they walked with, they saw his miracles, they had been encouraged by. And he was now raised from the grave. And now he's talking to them. And he reminds them, all authority, not some, everything. In the world in which we live in the 21st century, I don't care how bad the economy is. It's collapsing in Greece, by the way. And in case you don't know, it's collapsing here. It's just a matter of time. But things are falling apart all around us. Immorality is becoming just rampant. And we have all of this. It was no different from the Lord's day. And we think that men are in control of things, presidents and kings and so forth and so on. No, 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 no. God is still in control. And the Lord Jesus Christ, before he gave them the assignment in verse 19, assures them that he was not only our savior, but he's our leader, and he's the sovereign authority over everything. And that's still true. Then we come to verse 19. And let me encourage you don't turn me out right now if you're a believer, because you know it's the Great Commission. It's been referred to that way. I want you to notice something this morning. Because of the resurrection, he went to his disciples. And it's rather interesting. I didn't spend the time, I had it in my notes. Because you know what they did at first? We'll get there in John's account when we we go through the book of John. They went back to fishing. The resurrected Lord. He had been raised from the dead. And it's interesting when you compare the text. And I'll do it at that time. But it's interesting because the Lord specifically said, tell him to go to Galilee. And he wanted them to be meeting him in the mountains. And we get that even from this text, by the way, if you look at verse 16. They went to the sea. Why were they in the sea? Because as we compare the text, Peter came up and said, You know, I'm going back to my living of fishing. And the other disciple says, You know what? It's not a bad idea. Let's go. They have been affected by the Lord, they have been taught by the Lord. And all they did was go back to their lifestyle. And all too frequently, yes, God has placed us in different parts of the world. And He's given us different jobs to do. Some of you are lawyers, teachers, accountants, whatever, firemen police officers, serve in the military, housewives. I don't know. I, I'm not going to name everything. You know the point. And you've got a job to do. But the primary job that you've got to do is right here in this text. No matter where you are. And most Christians today that are professing faith in Christ have gone back to the world. The resurrection has not had the impact that it should have. And their excuse is, I'm just going to be a testimony for Christ and God's going to save who he is. God is going to save who he is. And he's chosen the instrumentality of the message of the gospel in our lives. And we are going to stand before the beamer and give account for what we've been doing. And the time that we're wasting for Christ is going to be lost. But the resurrection should affect us like this because we come to verse 19. Verse 19. And he said this. Therefore, what do you mean, therefore? Because of the authority, because of who I am, because of the reminder that you received that I rose from the grave, because of the reminder that you can get the instruction of where you should be and what you should be doing, and I'm in control of things regardless of what's happening around you, because of that, he says this Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, for law I am with you e, always, even unto the end of the age. Who did he speak it to? His disciples. Absolutely. Is this only for the 11 disciples? No. If that were the case, Paul missed the mark. If that were the case, the Reformation means nothing. Because these men didn't just see it as my job to go off and do everything else and not make disciples. This is not a text that's designed for pastors only. This is not a text that's designed for elders only. This text is given for every single believer. And what are we to be doing? The main verb, as you well know, is making disciples. Every single one of us, because we're serving a risen Savior, and because he is risen, verse 7. And we ought to be reminded of that. Because he is working in our life and guiding us, verse 10. And because of everything in between, including the fact that he's still in authority, that he's still ruling the universe, waiting until he comes back, we are to be involved, every single one of us, in making disciples. Are you and I making disciples if we're serving the risen Savior we're supposed to be? What do you mean making disciples? How do I do that, Pastor Dan? Don't ask me. Look at the text. He gives us three participles here. What are they? As you're going, verse 19, it's the same one that's used in verse 7. In other words, as we're going, the way we're to do it is we're to be witnessing. Not a silent witness. Is our lives an epistle that's written of all men? Of course it is. Corinthians says that clearly. But that's no excuse not to tell. In fact, Romans says that we know we're saved because confession is made with a mouth unto salvation. When's the last time you even shared the gospel with somebody? Well, I'm too busy. I'm on the job. I got this. I got my family to worry about. I got this to worry about. I like to do this. I like to do that. Yeah, and where did you squeeze in witnessing? Well, I know it's important. How much has the resurrection affected your life? We're not here to play games. And by the way, Christ has given us all things to enjoy. I'm not trying to take your things away from you, or God's not trying to do that at all. But whether you're a fisherman, whether... Whether or not you're an accountant, whether or not you're a secretary, whether or not you're a fireman, those are the jobs you have to survive. Paul was a tent maker, but his life impacted the world because of the job that he was doing and he was called to do. And so are you and I. The first part of it is going. We're to be telling. We're to be going and telling others about Christ. Why? Even in this room, there's a possibility that there are those that don't realize there are sinners All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a one righteous. No, not one. That's why Good Friday. Christ came to die on the cross to satisfy a righteous and a holy God. He paid the penalty for sin. The debt is over. He was the propitiation, the mercy seat for God. And you can't save yourselves. Good works will never get you to heaven. Isn't it terrible going through life? Hoping that you've got enough good works and if you balance, I saw one particular church and it was right there on the wall. It had so much scripture that was correct with the icons and then it came down to one. At the end it was a balance of the good works outweighing the bad It was to whether or not a person went to heaven. That's not the way it is. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Don't be afraid, fellow Christians. There were those that gave their lives. Why? Because they knew, as Paul did, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't change the gospel and belittle it. Don't try to go out to the world and try to find out, how can we change even the services and my testimony to make it appeasing to them? The gospel is not appeasing. The gospel penetrates the heart because it says you're a sinner and you need Christ and Christ alone. But it ought to affect the Christians who have the message by going. Then what? Baptizing. Follow up. Baptism doesn't save. I could go on, as you know, with that. This is how we are to make disciples. You in your neighborhood, you right in this church, we should all be involved in disciple making, involved in people's lives, bringing the gospel to them, then helping them, what? With follow up. What should follow the Gospel? Baptism. We see it right through the New Testament. They were changed. And I haven't got the time this morning, but you take the book of Acts yourself and you'll see over and over and over and over and over. The message was Christ has risen. Christ has risen. We serve a risen savior. He fulfilled the Old Testament. Then what? After he penetrated, repent and be baptized. They didn't leave him hanging. Every single one of you should be involved in that, myself as well. Bringing the glorious message of a risen Savior and helping the people to see what to do next. And then what? Don't leave them a baby. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have said or commanded you. We need to be involved. That is how you disciple someone. You disciple someone by telling them the good news. You disciple someone by taking them to the second step of what? Bringing them along in the Christian life and helping them along. And by the way, you don't just do that in here. Do it in your neighborhoods. Do it at work. I was thrilled. One of the things that I heard, first things that I heard when I got back from my trip was that one of my nieces come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. How thrilling that was. How thrilling that was to hear that. tried to call her right away. She was working. Couldn't reach her. Haven't had much time. What a thrill. Why? Because somebody on the job there was bringing the good news. Bring the good news to people. Help them to see what's next. And then get them where they can get into the word of God and be taught and instructed. Don't just look to the pastor. Don't just look for the elders to do that. Every single one of us are called to be making disciples. It's a charge that is a commission that goes out. It wasn't just for the early church and disciples. It is you and I are a result of the fact that that didn't stop with the 11 apostles. We wouldn't be here today. We have a lot to rejoice about. We have a lot that we should celebrate today. But Christians in the early church were impacted and turned the world upside down. Is God using you to turn your little world upside down? Have we gone back to fishing, so to speak? Getting so comfortable in the world. And again, God's given us all things to enjoy. But so comfortable that the things of God have been put on the shelf. The resurrection's just a one time Sunday event that we come to and celebrate and sing our hearts out and. And it's great and then we go our way or we know the theology so we can get in all the debates about Christ and so forth. But it's not impacting our lives. It wasn't Mary Magdalene. It wasn't Mary. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't any one of them that heard about the resurrection that were just left to enjoy the rest of their life without bringing the message to others. They were impacted. And everywhere they went, They gave the world the message they needed to hear, no matter what the opposition. And it's the same message that you and I are to give. It's a glorious day. But don't just leave this day and not let the resurrected Savior and the resurrection not impact, don't let it not impact your life. Very poor English. But let it impact your life. And each one of us, let us go out here And make disciples of every nation. Because you know what? Christ is still building his church. And he's chosen to use each one of us as believers. We're part of the building. Get out there and do what God would have us to do. Before I close in prayer, I know the song that we're closing in. And I asked Pastor Chris to make sure we close with that song. I mentioned it on Friday night. Let me clarify. Maybe Chris will remind you. But when it comes to the last verse of the song which is personalized by the way when you get to the chorus personalize it it won't be personalized on the screen but personalize it let's close in prayer our father in god i thank you and praise you for this glorious day i thank you and praise you that we serve a risen savior the lord jesus christ who loved us not only enough to come and die on the cross, but he's gotten victory over the grave. And one day we also will cry out, O grave, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you that Jesus Christ is the firstfruits, but Father, so too shall we rise and be forever with our Lord, But Father, you've chosen us to be left here on earth, in the world, to live as Christ lived, to have an impact on the world around us. Help every one of us to be involved in making disciples, bringing the good news, following up individually. And Father, we pray that right here through Fellowship Bible Church, through those who are even visiting with us today, as they go back to their homes, that, Father, the world would be turned upside down as the Spirit of God works through each one of us for the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.